Gird your loins, people. Election time is here. The first absentee ballots for the May 24th primary and nonpartisan general election were mailed out earlier this week, and early voting begins across the state, including right here in Chatham County, on Monday, May the 2nd. Colin McRae with the Chatham Board of Registrars helps press us for the vote on today's commute. And we'll also hear from Congressman Buddy Carter, who will be closely watching the Democratic primary in the weeks to come to learn the identity of his opponent for the November election. That race, of course, features Wade Herring, Joyce Marie Griggs. From savannahnow.com, this is a Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. I'm Adam Van Brimmer, opinion editor at the Savannah Morning News and the host of this twice-weekly podcast focused on news and happenings in and around Savannah. Today is Thursday, April the 28th, and on this episode, we talk about the 2022 elections, which got underway this week with the mailing of absentee ballots. My colleague, Will Peebles, speaks with Colin McRae, who leads the agency in charge of advanced voting in Chatham County, the Board of Registrars. And later, Will catches up with U.S. Congressman Buddy Carter. Those interviews are coming up in just one minute, after a message about the podcast presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Let's face it, people. When it comes to the office environment, we've all kind of just, uh, we'll just, just kind of ignore it and put it on the back burner. We'll, we'll deal with any kind of improvements later. Well, now is later. Now is the time to freshen up that space. And the folks at National Office Systems are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers such as Dirt Modular Interiors and Herma Miller Office Furniture to create great workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's Will Peoples' conversation with Colin McRae with the Chatham Board of Registrars. I have the distinct pleasure of being joined today by the Board of Registrar's Chairman, Mr. Colin McRae. Um, Colin, how's, how's things looking over there at the Board of Registrar's? We're gearing up for early voting. Starts on Monday, right? Yep, it'll start on Monday, May 2nd. Um, we've got all our sites lined up for the early voting process. Um, and we're, we'll hit the ground running on Monday morning. Gotcha. Um, and as of this recording, it is 428, not the time, but the date. Uh, and that means that registration is closed for the primary. So, um, Colin, a question I get all the time is, uh, if I don't register for the primary, can I still register for the general election in November? Um, how does that work? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, if you have not registered yet, you won't be able to vote in this primary. Uh, but you can register thereafter and um, or even register now and vote in the elections to follow. Um, most, most importantly, the general election in November. Uh, so get out there and register uh, so you can ensure that you can vote in, the, in the, um, the general election. There are, of course, a few nonpartisan elections that are, um, that are handled at this primary phase. Uh, so it's actually called the general primary nonpartisan election. Um, so nonpartisan races like, you know, uh, let's say a judicial race or something like that um, would be decided at this uh, general primary stage as opposed to the November general election. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, the way that people do that is uh, you can do it by mail, go to the voter registration office. Um, that's PO Box 13757. 
Savannah, Georgia, uh, or you can go in person at the Board of Registrar's main office in the Eisenhower Drive building uh, over there on uh, 1117 Eisenhower Drive, Suite E. It's in there uh, over by um, the DDS. And you can do, also do it online at mvp.sos.ga.gov. Um, but uh, as you said before, um, it's too late to register for this primary. Um, but if you're already registered, Early voting starts on Monday. Um, so, Colin, uh, what are we looking at for early voting? Are we? Are we? It's pretty much the same as every year. How's our, how's our, how's our site list looking? Well, so we expect a slightly higher turnout than, let's say, an off-year election. Uh, certainly not expecting the level of turnout you get in a presidential election, uh, but with you know, pretty high-profile gubernatorial and other statewide races, and then you know, um, very. Uh, closely followed local elections, including, you know, our, our um, Board of Education has a number of seats that are uh, up with contested races. We expect there to be a pretty high turnout. So in some off years, we may not have as many satellite sites for early voting, but given what we think will be a pretty you know high turnout, we went with a full complement of, of five early voting sites, our main office, and then four satellite sites. Um, and those sites are, of course, as you mentioned, our Eisenhower main office, which is 1117 Eisenhower. Think of it as behind, you know, the um, the DDS or behind the uh, Board of Equalization. What else is over there? Um, TAG office. Yeah, those all face on to Eisenhower. We have a parking lot behind us, and yeah, we're um, you know you go into the foyer, and we're to the right. Board of Elections to the left. Uh, you'll see a line of people if you show up there for elections. Uh, we are um, pretty confident that the the lines will go much more smoothly this go round than they did back in 2020, when at the outset of early voting there were some technological snafus that led to some delays, which were regrettable. Uh, but I think that the technological issues that related to that have been cleared up by the Secretary of State and. We expect that there wouldn't be a delay attributable to technological issues. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that there will be a large turnout, in, but even with a large turnout, uh, we expect that the lines will go pretty smoothly and pretty quickly. Gotcha. And there are five uh, early voting sites um, this year, uh, as pretty much has been the case for at least as long as I've been here for the last six years. Um, uh, but they're not, and there's, a, but there's also two rounds of Saturday voting and one round of Sunday voting. Um, and for those, um, the Civic Center and the main office are open for Saturday voting. And the Sunday, the one Sunday voting is at Eisenhower Drive, right? That's correct. That's, that's right. Yeah. So sat- Saturday voting, which is something that, um, you know, we take pride in that we try to give as much access as we can. So we're going to have two locations for Saturday voting. And those are May 7 and May 14. You'll have the option of going to Eisenhower if you live closer to the south side, and then you have the option of going to the Civic Center for those two Saturday voting days if you live closer to town uh, or downtown. Um, and those will both be open 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on those Saturdays. We've seen, you know, historically we've seen really good turnout on those Saturday voting days. So, you know, we wanted to do whatever we can to, you know, to continue that tradition of Saturday voting. And then, um, of course, Sunday voting, which, um, you know, many people like to take advantage of um, as kind of a tradition. You know, um, you hear about a lot of um, churchgoers who uh, will gather after church and go, you know, um, continue the, the uh, 
the, the worship at the polls, uh, worship of democracy this time. And uh, <laughs> they'll go out in mass to the polls, you know, souls to the polls, it's often called. Um, and so we want to ensure that that tradition continued in Chatham County. So we will have Sunday voting on May 15. It's only at the Eisenhower location. Um, we don't get quite as high a, a participation in Sunday voting as Saturday voting. So we have one location open on that Sunday and it's our Eisenhower main office and it's from nine to five as well. Yeah, and uh, I remember uh, SB 202 in 2020, um, it, it changed how Saturday morning, or, or sorry, previously it was only one Saturday that was required, um, but we got two this time. Um, and it makes both of those Sundays optional as well. Was there a reason we're only doing one Sunday of early voting? It's a combination of historical trends and resources. Um, sure, we'd love to have, you know, unlimited resources where we could have satellite sites everywhere. Um, but keep in mind that, you know, elections are run by people and, you know, um, we need to get workers, including both permanent workers from the border registrars and, you know, temporary or seasonal workers to assist with um, staffing these polling places. And, you know, Saturday's hard enough and Sunday's even harder. Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a combination of all those factors that, uh, that led us to just have the one Sunday voting. And, and you're right, uh, we are doing more than is required by statute in terms of making yeah. Saturday voting available. Yeah, two Saturdays. That's that's fun. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, one thing that I do like to remind people of, um, because folks will ask me about early voting sometimes, uh, and that is that uh, you don't have to go to a specific place right. to do early voting. Like it's not assigned by precinct. Like it would be on election day, um, in, anywhere in the county is fine, right? That's right. That's right. If you're registered in Chatham County for early voting, you can go to any of those locations. You are not pre, you know, assigned to any one particular early voting location. So you might live out in, you know, the South Side, but you work downtown and you want to take advantage of voting on your, you know, lunch break or something like that. And, you know, just because you're registered in the South Side doesn't mean you can't vote in the quote unquote downtown uh, early voting site. So, yeah, so there's no restrictions on that. Um, when you, you know, come to that early voting uh, location, the uh, poll worker will pull up your information and based on where you are living and registered, uh, you will get a unique ballot for races that are applicable to you. So, you know, if you uh, are in one particular district for the school board, you know, you don't have to vote in the precinct place for that particular district. You can vote at the, you know, at any of the early voting sites and it'll pull up the ballot that's unique to your registered uh, address. Right, it, right. It'll still be the same ballot that you would get at your precinct, but um, it's just it's just got to be pulled up uh, through the system there. Um, so you're not you did that just because you vote you can vote anywhere it doesn't mean you can vote for people outside of your district. Um, but yeah, is that everything on early voting? I'm trying to think if there's more things that I've omitted that I shouldn't have. Let's see. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. You know, um, I think we've said the locations um, in the past. We uh, in 2020 we had a pooler location. Um, but that just wasn't in the cards going forward. Um, so all of our, you know, voting friends in that area of Chatham County are encouraged to take advantage of mosquito control, which is not too far down the road. Um, or of course, you know, any of the others. Uh, uh, but I just wanted to, you know, kind of get that info out there uh, that people who may have voted early in the past in Pooler um, are gonna need to find a, a different location to do early voting. 
that's funny. I actually, um, I met my parents for dinner and Pooler's one of the easier places because it's on 95 and we have uh, family in Brunswick. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I ate lunch there uh, in Pooler and then I was like, you know what? I could go early vote at the new spot. And I did it last year. Oh, so you were able to do it, good. Yeah. yeah, so limited edition. I love that. Um, yeah, so uh, let's get on to absentee ballots um, because there's been a few changes in the process. Let's, let's just talk about it from where we're at right now. Um, can you still request an absentee ballot? What's that window? Yeah, you can definitely still request one. Um, the Senate Bill 202 that you mentioned earlier, it did shorten or it uh, it set up um, restrictions for the time when you can request it. But um, with a little bit of pre-planning, there's still ample time for those who want to participate by absentee to do so. So the new rule from Senate Bill 202 with respect to when you can request it is it has to, it can be requested no later than 11 days before the election. The primary is on May 24, so you have to get your absentee ballot application to us by May 13. So those of you who are planning on voting by absentee, uh, get your hands on an absentee ballot application, fill it out, and get it to us by the 13th. Um, that gives plenty of time, I hope, to get the ballot to you through the mail uh, for you to you know, look through it, consider your votes, and fill it out and get it back to us uh, in time to be counted. In order to be counted, it must be received by no later than 7 p.m. on Election Day. Uh, so that hasn't changed. That's one good thing to come out of Senate Bill 202 is they have not changed the date by which the absentee ballot can be returned. Um, and, you know, there, I'll um, acknowledge that having that 11-day buffer um, can lead to some upsides, such as uh, absentee ballots that are, for whatever reason, are um, preliminarily rejected. Uh, let's say there's information on it that isn't clearly marked or on the identifying information on the uh, absentee envelope, it gives enough time for our office to uh, send a cure notice or cure letter to the voter saying, hey, you need to, you know, there's one little piece here that we need clarification on. And it gives plenty of time for that voter to then, um, you know, come in and cure whatever that deficiency might be on their absentee ballot envelope. Gotcha. Yeah, and um, uh, folks can get these absentee ballots um, Excuse me, sorry. Folks can get these absentee ballots from you guys in person, right? Uh, you can go on over to the office and request one in person. And do you just like hand it to them, or do you have to mail that out? No, if you bring it in, you can you can hand it to one of our customer service reps. At oh no, I, I mean for the requesting side of it, like when you're getting the ballot initially. Um, in order in order to request one, you have to have the application for an absentee ballot filled out. And you can just hand that to oh, uh, I see. Okay. At, at the main office, and then that will be processed. And within a you know a day or a few days thereafter, um, the ballot will be mailed to your registered address. Uh, and then you take that and um, fill it out and return it to us, either through the mail uh, or by bringing it in in person to the main office, or you can use one of the three absentee ballot drop-off boxes that we'll have uh, available, which uh, you know Senate Bill 202 changed the absentee ballot drop-off box um, law pretty significantly. And so now, even though we had 11 absentee drop-off boxes in the 2020 and then the 
2021 senatorial election, um, the Senate Bill 202 decided that the that the number of absentee ballot drop-off boxes that can be implemented in any one county is one per 100,000 population. And so, um, actually, I think it's one per 100,000 registered voters. Actually, I should know that. It's, whatever the case is, our... Yeah. Our census <laughs> uh, only entitled us to three absentee ballot drop-off boxes, uh, and those three are at the main library, excuse me, the main office, the Islands Library, and Mosquito Control. Now, keep in mind, those absentee drop-off boxes, by, by virtue of this new Senate Bill 202, they've been moved from the outside to the inside of those early voting locations. So you can only drop those absentee ballots off into the drop-off box during the time that early voting is going on in those locations. Um, so at our main office, that's from eight to six, but at those satellite sites, um, Island Library and Mosquito Control, it's nine to five. So you have a shorter time window when you can drop them off in the absentee drop-off box. Right, right. And, you know, if you're going to the Eisenhower one, you can always just drop it off at any time that the office is open with the folks there up until 7 p.m. on election day, right? That's right. Up to yeah. 7 p.m. And the other yeah. two, the other two have some, well, you know, don't count on dropping it off at 7 p.m. in the other two because yeah. early voting will have ended by then. Um, oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. on Election Day, the only place that you'll be able to drop it off is at the Eisenhower location. Yeah. OK. Well, that makes sense. Sorry, lost my train of thought there. OK. Um, yeah. What else? What else is there to that folks need to know about uh, early voting, absentee voting? Um, any of the above, Colin? What's 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 the thing that you wish more people knew? Well, I, I want to kind of um, address the issue about ID, as it were, uh, because that's something that um, I think has been publicized in connection with the changes to the the election code, uh, primarily from Senate Bill Two Hundred Two, and that is that it requires that the the absentee ballots have switched from a signature verification to an ID ver verification. And what that simply means is that we no longer will do a signature match to ensure that the person submitting that ballot who has signed it on the outside, which is the old way, that they that it matches up with the signatures we had on file for them. Now, the, the envelope looks different. And on the back where you used to sign it, now there are you know the boxes where you would place the information from your georgia issued state issued uh, info, uh information card identification card excuse me so if you have a georgia driver's license you would put the numbers of your driver's license in uh in that box where it you know verifies your identification or if you don't have a driver's license you know some other state issued identification and that takes the place of the signature verification. So basically you don't have to sign it anymore, um, but you do need to provide some kind of um, identifying information that will allow the, you know, the staff to confirm that the ballot being submitted is being submitted by the person that, uh, that requested it. Um, so there was a little confusion about that. You don't have to have a photograph copy of your identification stuffed into the absentee ballot envelope, you just merely write that number on the outside. Now, some people were understandably concerned about putting personally sensitive information on the outside of an envelope, um, and the envelope addresses that by having a flap. 
So you put that information on what looks like the back side of the envelope, and then there's a flap with the adhesive on that side that covers up that information. So that information will only be reviewed by somebody at our office who <clears throat> you know, lifts that flap in order to confirm the identifying information. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, and if you would like a recap of any of these, we will, of course, have a story on SavannahNow.com featuring all of this information, uh, and you'll be able to reference it there. But uh, Colin, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck out there as we get started here. Great. All right, everybody, head to the early voting on Monday the 2nd through Friday, May 20th. That's the early voting period. All right. Cool. Thanks, Colin. Great. Have a good day. Thanks, Will. Always a pleasure, man. Hey there, it's Adam again. Thanks so much to Colin McRae for the 411 on advanced voting. We're going to bring in Congressman Carter in just a moment, but in the meantime, I'm going to tell you about the Coastal Empire High School Sports Awards, presented by Georgia Ports and sponsored by Chatham Orthopedic Associates. The awards show returns to an in-person format this year after two years of virtual shows. The Best of Preps is scheduled for 7.30 p.m. on Monday, June the 10th at the Johnny Mercer Theater. You can come help us celebrate our local student athletes by purchasing tickets at sportsawards.usatoday.com slash coastal empire. I know that's a, that's, that's a mouthful, right? Sportsawards.usatoday.com backslash coastal empire. You can also just go to savannahnow.com, click on the sports tab. You'll see a link once you get to that sports homepage that'll take you to some tickets. That's much easier than trying to type in that long URL. Anyway, now back to Will Peebles with Buddy Carter. Today I'm joined by First District Congressman Buddy Carter. Um, Buddy, we got a few things to hit on real quick, but the first thing I want to hit on was some news that uh, came came to my attention pretty recently. Um, there was recently a sanction list uh, released from the Russian government, uh, and you were listed upon that. Um, how, what does that mean? Uh, you have been sanctioned by Vladimir Putin. I have been sanctioned by Vladimir Putin all the way from Port Wentworth to Putin. Uh, you know, it's just unbelievable. But, uh, you know, look, it's, it's nothing more than just tit for tat. I mean, there there were members of their lower parliament who were who were sanctioned by the United States. And I think they did this in response to that. So. Uh, you know, essentially what it means is that I won't be taking spring break in Moscow this year, but, uh, and that's unfortunate, but, but nevertheless, uh, it, you know, it, again, it's just in response to what was done to, to their government as well. So uh, there were 398 of us who I think were, were sanctioned. Interestingly enough, some of the ones who weren't sanctioned, I don't believe the speaker was, Nancy Pelosi. I don't think that minority leader Kevin McCarthy was. I don't know the reason for that, but nevertheless. Um, and, and, you know, obviously I've, I've spoken out against, um, against this evil monster, Vladimir Putin, and that's what he is. He is an evil monster and he's a bully, he's a thug, and and um, I'm going to continue to support the Ukrainian people and continue to call out Vladimir Putin, whether I'm sanctioned or not. Gotcha. So, so no, no real, uh, I guess, effects, practical effects that, that have happened since then. Like, I don't know, you're not getting any 
money from the Russian government anyway. So I can't imagine what, what the financial no. function or, yeah, I don't know. Just, no, just, not financial. It's, it's just that they won't let me travel there. I didn't have any plans to travel there anyway. So I've never been to Moscow. I would like to go someday. It's but, very pretty capital. Man. Yeah. Yeah. From what I understand, but uh, nevertheless, I, I won't be going anytime soon. I can assure you that. Gotcha. Well, let's move on to something that uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and that's the uh, Savannah Combat uh, Readiness Training Center. Um, that's a training center that's based in Savannah where uh, fighter, pe- fighter pilots from around the country come and learn to essentially be ready for combat at any time uh, based on what the name of it is. So um, in Biden's proposed budget, this was one of the, the measures that was going to be cut. Uh, they were going to get rid of it. Do you have any updates there? I know you guys were working on stopping that from happening. Mm-hmm. And we are. And let's keep in mind now that the president's budget is only the beginning. It is not the end. Um, we still got to go through this budget in the House, and that's where we hope to change minds. And I think we'll be able to. This is a nonpartisan effort on behalf of um, Republicans and, and Democrats within our Georgia delegation. Sanford Bishop, who is on the Appropriations Committee, is um, is working. I'm working very closely with him to see that this does not happen. Uh, you know, the, if you were to ask the, the administration about increases in defense spending, they'll tell you, well, we increase defense spending by 4%. What they don't tell you is that inflation's at 8.5%. So you still ended up losing 4.5% right there. This is essentially a decision that's being made by the Air Force as a result of the cuts that, that were made to, to their budget. Unfortunately, here we are. We just talked about Russia and Ukraine, and here we are on potentially the brink of World War III. And, and here this administration is talking about closing a combat readiness training center. They ought to be talking about just the opposite, and that is opening up more combat readiness training centers. You know, the number one responsibility of the federal government is to take care of our homeland. And we can only do that with a military that's ready. The Wall Street Journal uh, reported a couple of weeks ago that the Air Force is at an all-time low and that their readiness is, is at an all-time low. That should bring light to the fact that we need to keep this center open. A couple of other things. First of all, this is a fifth-generation hangar that's being built there. This, this hangar was, um, was approved and is, is about finished. It's a $24 million investment. And they are telling us that they're going to have the ribbon cutting at the 1st of September and that it is slated to be closed in the end of April of next year. I mean, no wonder people get so upset about wasteful spending by the federal government when they see their hard earned tax dollars going to waste like this. You build a facility, a $24 million facility. We were just out there this week, and there, there's, it's not completed yet. There's still cranes out there. And, and not only that, but they also invested $1.2 million in computer equipment and, uh, at that facility just last week. And, that, that, and it's equipment that's only available at that facility. And now they're talking about closing it down. It is the most utilized. It is, it is the most frequently utilized and and most efficient of the four readiness training centers that we have here in America. But the reason they're talking about closing it is because it would be the easiest one to close. I mean, we were given figures that said that they use about 2.9 million gallons of gas and that the next facility only uses about 700,000. 
I mean, that shows you the utilization. Every F-22 pilot has gone through that training center in Savannah over the past two years. Every F-22 pilot in the Air Force. It, it is just ludicrous to think that they would even consider closing that dam. So what is the mechanism, or I guess the power that, that uh, the House has to stop it? Um, will that just be a revision of the budget? Will it be suggesting an alternative place to close? Because I, I feel like, you know, like you said, this was the easiest of the four centers to close. Does that now put pressure elsewhere to find money somewhere else in the budget that was saved by this? Well, yes, it, it will be. And, and it'll be up to the Air Force to, to um, you know, and, and the House to, to decide where that money might come from. But, you know, the last place it, it, that it should be coming from right now is a combat readiness training center. At a, at a time when we, as I said earlier, are potentially on the brink of World War III, it's just ludicrous to think that they would even consider closing down any of them, much less the most efficient and most economical one that they have. So what is the what is the plan? Um, you know, you guys have been coming together with Democrats. So it was a bipartisan issue. Do you guys have any concrete like ideas on how to keep this from happening? Well, again, keep in mind that the president's budget is just a proposal. We've still got a budget that's got to come out of the budget committee. And that will that'll be the time when when we make decisions on what what funds are going to go where. And that'll be the time when we'll be able to change minds. And have you been talking to any other uh, Georgia congressmen about this? Um, because like you said, you know, it affects the whole state. It does affect the whole state. We're talking about 117 full-time jobs in the Savannah area, which is going to have an impact on our economy. We all understand that. But it is going to impact the whole state. And yes, I've been in touch with all the members of the delegation. They're aware of what's going on and all of them are concerned. Hey, buddy, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. And okay. yeah, you have a good week. And um, all right, man. Great. Thank you. All right, buddy. Have a good one. That's all for the Thursday Commute Podcast. Thanks one last time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new Commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. If you missed the Commute earlier this week, for example, you missed a retrospective on the Savannah Paper Mill, which has quite the legacy here in town. Find that episode and many others by searching The Commute with that Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app. Again, that's The Commute with that Savannah Opinion. The Commute returns next Tuesday. We look forward to talking to you then. Mm-hmm.